digging and welcome to another episode of the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and thanks again for being a part of this journey. Awesome to have you here for episode 84, where I bring on as my guest today, Paul McNeil. Um, and Paul is a really neat dude. Um, he curates cryptocurrency content all day, every day. So whether it's news or articles or podcasts or what have you, and he puts it into an easily digestible newsletter that you can get right to your inbox. So you can go to his website, thecryptocurator.com to sign up for that and see his other stuff, as well as he spends a lot of time on Twitter, underscore crypto curator. And Paul's part, part of that next-gen community that I am, um, just an unbelievable community as we talk about a little bit in this episode. And um, by the way, for those listening in, you know I know it's late 2019 here, the 2020 Next Gen Summit will be uh, taking place in June. So just mark that on your calendar. And as they update things on the website, ngsummit.com, I definitely encourage everyone to uh, check that out. Might be a great conference and event to join. Um, it's just three days of just unbelievable speakers and networking and, and uh, you name it, mentorship, etc. So it was a life-changing event for me uh, back here in 2019 in June. So I'm excited for number six, uh, the sixth installment. And I know Paul is because this will be his six out of six year. He's, uh, he's hit all of them. So excited for you guys to listen on this episode. Um, you know, we go on a lot of tangents, uh, definitely around cryptocurrency and a lot of questions I had. And Paul had some really great insight into that world that he shares. So I hope you guys enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Paul McNeil. Let's get it started. Paul, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining me, man. Hey, Brian. Thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. Good to catch up with you again. I know we had some good discussions up at the Next Gen Summit. Of, gosh, that was six months ago, five months ago. That's crazy. It was that yeah, long ago. Time flies. Good news is the next one's only six, seven months away. So, Hey, I always have my countdown. I tell Justin and Dylan, they should do like South by Southwest. The, 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 the evening of the last day, they should open it up for registrations for next year. <laughs> They'd fill up immediately. Absolutely. Yeah, man. I'm excited. I know you are. Um, so I want to chat through some stuff because obviously we got into some good discussions there. I know you're like the crypto expert. I want to talk a lot about that. Um, what's going on right now? I, I just looked at Bitcoin today. It's about 8,000. Um, give me, a, get, let, give the audience an update on Bitcoin right now. What's going on with it? What, what, what can you share? Sure, sure, sure. So let, let me first make one clarification. A lot of people use that term expert. I'm really not an expert. I think I'm just so, so the listeners know, uh, I'm the crypto curator. So I curate news information all day. And what that means is that I'm going through all the news publications, podcasts, videos, blogs, and I'm finding what I consider the best of the best information and putting together a brief and sending it out. So I've been doing that since 2016. So some people might say I'm an expert, but I'm an expert at reading the news and understanding what's going on. If you get into the weeds of it, I might start <laughs> to lose it. But well, you get in some trends. How did you, by the way, how'd you get caught up in that? Like, wh how did, you, what was the, the switch for you? Like, hey, I want to start doing this. Yeah, so the switch was, was that um, I came across Bitcoin. And again, I, I say this very humbly because it was totally accident. And like around 2011, 2012 was when I first heard about it. So it was super, it was only like Bitcoin. And I think Litecoin had just started, people started talking about it. So it was before this entire thing blew up. And I just kept at it and kept listening, kept paying attention. Of course, I live on Twitter. So I tell people all the time, I'm on Twitter more than I probably should be. But 
uh, as a result of doing that, I did notice that this was serious. This was not just something that was going to go away. It was, it was permanent. So that's how, I, and then of course the news aggregation part, the news curation part is I had a business doing that. We uh, curated news information for most of the folks on Capitol Hill and 500, uh, Fortune 500 companies. And we send these briefs in every morning so that the C-suite executives would be on the same page. So their briefs had their company's news, their competitors' news, and their industry news, and we put it in front of them every day. So back, just for some context for folks, back 2011, 2012, what was Bitcoin at? Uh, so Bitcoin, when I first started watching, it was under 100. And uh, I, was, I was not a smart man. I did not do anything. I was just as skeptical as everybody else. And I was like, this has got to be a scam, right? Magical internet money is what they called it. So I didn't do anything. It took me until it got to about 125. And even that was like, I was on part of the chamber, the Loudoun County Chambers Tech Coalition. I tried convincing them to have an event. They wouldn't have it on Bitcoin, but we did have it on payments. And so I sat on the panel so in order not to be seen as, you know, okay, so you talk about this stuff, but you don't believe it. I decided, hey, I'll get some Bitcoin just to prove that I believe it. There you go. Well, hey, you got some. Hopefully that's worked out for you well. Yeah. So let's fast forward. So 2016 comes, you said you started, what, you could have done a lot of things with it. Why was, you know, curating the news? Is that just because, again, that's what you did kind of with your, your full business and stuff, and it was just kind of an easy road there? What was the reason you decided to aggregate the news like that? Yeah, the reason was, was two main reasons. The first reason, um, it, it infuriated me because I didn't like the way you were talking about it, but yet your Jamie Diamonds of the world talking about this was a scam, it's a Ponzi scheme. And from my perspective, all the things I was looking at, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. No, it's not. And so I want to prove to people that this thing was really a global phenomenon and it really exploded around the globe like overnight. And the second reason was because people were getting scammed. I can't tell you how many times BitConnect is the most famous one, but there is you, 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 um, I'm, I forgot the name of it. USI Tech was another one. And I heard people tell me, oh, I'm getting the Bitcoin. And I go, really? I go, are you using like Kraken or using Circle at the time? And they were like, no, I'm using USI Tech. And I'm like, oh, please run away. Any MLM run away when it comes to digital assets. So I put the brief together for that purpose. So I guess I mean, maybe we take a step back as well, because it was, I guess, helpful for me back when I first learned about this a couple of years ago. People hear Bitcoin, people hear blockchain. Can you talk about the, why those are different and sim there's similarities, obviously, of what that, of how those co coincide together? Sure. And this is what a lot of people get, I don't want to say wrong, but the perception is not right. So if you do read the Bitcoin white paper, and I encourage everyone to read it. It's been it's 10 years old now, but you can just Google Bitcoin white paper and you read it. A couple things you'll find out first. There's no such thing as blockchain. So blockchain is a word that someone came up with, put it together, and everyone started calling it blockchain. But the white paper never uses the term blockchain. It uses a chain of blocks. And so as humans like to, we like to shorten things up and make it sound good, we say blockchain. So that's the first. The second, if people truly understand Bitcoin, which is actually a protocol and it's also the name of a digital asset. But Bitcoin, the protocol is what runs everything. Think of Napster. If you remember Napster, mm -hmm. um, 
the reason Napster worked was because someone came out with some software and they said, hey, if you download this software, you'll get visibility into someone else's computer and you can see all the music and files that they have and you can share them. Well, this is what Shatoshi did. Shatoshi said, if you, and he did this on, a, on, on the, um, the email form that they had, he said, if you download the Bitcoin software and you run it on your computer, as a result of you running that software, and running that software meant keeping the network secure, you're going to get rewarded with Bitcoin, which is the actual digital asset. So you can't have blockchain and Bitcoin as two separate things. They're the same thing. It's the Bitcoin blockchain, just like it's the Litecoin blockchain, just like it's the, you name it, blockchain. It's multiple blockchains, but Bitcoin blockchain was the first. It's the only centralized, I mean, decentralized, censorship-resistant, blockchain there is out there. And that's why it's considered the best. And when you're talking about kind of with the computers and storing it, is that, is that what is referred to as mining? Yes, exactly. And so what happens is, is that um, in order to uh, keep Bitcoin's network secure, your computer is running uh, problem solving type algorithms on it. And this is again where my technical knowledge will leave me, but uh, it will run uh, process is trying to solve uh, a problem and the first computer that solves that problem correctly gets the opportunity to add a block to the blockchain um, or add a block to the chain right and so if you get selected to do that you get the rewards now that happens every 10 minutes so every 10 minutes someone's computer around the world gets selected by the network that says you now have permission to add a new block onto the chain and you're going to get Bitcoin. And right now, it used to be that that reward was 50 Bitcoin when it first started. Someone's computer every 10 minutes got 50. And then in four years, it halved to 25. And now we're at 12.5. But next year in April, that will get halved again to 6.25 Bitcoin every 10 minutes. Yeah, Bitcoin is just, I mean, it's just insane. When I first learned about it and I was like, yeah, it wasn't as early as you did. Uh, trust me, I wish it was. Um, but, <laughs> but so it's pretty insane. So now, so for folks listening again, that maybe are early on or have, don't know too much about, it's at 8,000 right now. What, is, what does that mean? Where did it come from? I know, obviously, you know, two years ago, it was at almost 20,000. It's went back down to two or 3,000. Now it's back around. So help us with the fluctuations, how that works, what determines that. Um, I'd love yeah, for the folks to know that. It's definitely a speculative number. Uh, a lot of people will say what drives it. So, and again, my technical knowledge will leave me a little bit. It's based on the hash rate. And what the hash rate indicates is how many computers in the network are working to solve these problems to keep the network secure. So it's been said by, I know Trace Mayer has said it several times, as hash rate increases, so does the price follows, right? And so if hash rate precedes price increase, uh, increasing, then that's sort of what's driving it. And so it's it's based off of the volume of computers that are burning energy to keep the network secure. And that's where the value comes from. Now, someone has set the price and the market has taken over. So you have market makers and all these exchanges, and that's how the price ultimately is determined. It's just like the regular market for stocks. Someone says, hey, I have Apple stock to sell. 
and someone will say, I'll buy it at this price. And someone says, I'll sell it at this price. And everyone has a price to sell. Everyone has a price to buy. Market makers are involved, the whole nine yards. So as it stands today, right? And I won't hold you to this. This is just your, sure. whatever your knowledge, your insight, right? I mean, we all have opinions. Is, is now an opportunity to buy at 8,000? Or do you see that based on speculation and things you've seen over the years, hey, it's probably going to drop for a little while before it comes back. What, what are you thinking? Yeah, the sentiment that I'm seeing through the news, again, for those people that do get the brief, I do have a section for price and technical analysis. And I curate probably the best technical analysis that's out there from all the publications, whether that's Coindesk, Cointelegraph, NewsBTC, uh, Crypto Potato, even weird names I know. And then there's a lot of people in crypto Twitter who are technical analyst and one of them for certain his name is brian swan he does this as a day job he's a certified financial technician he's doing this for a large company this is what he gets paid to do is read charts and so these folks that are looking at it he he still has a bullish stance right now he thinks that this last pullback we had down to 8100 is where he had a limit order set to buy it got executed, so he bought more Bitcoin at 8,100, right? And so now based on the news, there are some people in the news that are saying, we could see more of a pullback. They think we could pull back to 6,000. Then you got other people in the news that are saying, hey, based on what we're looking at with the indicators and the charts, this thing is looking to have a massive rally coming soon. So what I've learned to, to do in this market is, you can hear all of this stuff, but it still comes out to what is your game plan and what are you trying to accomplish? And that's what determines if you get in now, get in later, or get in the future. It's all based on your goals. And I tell people, hypothetically, now this is what's been projected. People have talked about Bitcoin going to 100,000, half a million, a million dollars. Let's just say that's right. Just for craps and giggles. Shouldn't you have some exposure to Bitcoin right now? I don't, I'm not saying put your life savings, but some exposure, half a Bitcoin, a quarter of a Bitcoin, something. So that's what I tell people. You can buy now, but if you buy, don't get hurt and don't sell if it goes to 6,000. Just hold on. It's going to come back. Yeah, and I think it, you know it's weird sometimes too looking at, I don't know if there's any correlation, but it seems like when the market's really good from a stock market standpoint, Bitcoin may be not as good. When the market takes a hit, somehow Bitcoin goes up. Isn't that seem like it's weird how that correlates? Or am I just losing my mind on that? No, you're right. They call Bitcoin an uncorrelated asset. because, And this is what the, uh, so an article just came out said, family offices are finally understanding the benefits of investing in Bitcoin. This is significant and I tell people this, listen, you're talking family offices are now saying they understand they need exposure to Bitcoin. That's not a small statement. And so what has been said is if they have a portfolio of 59% stocks, equities, 40% bonds, and 1% Bitcoin, that that portfolio will outperform the market. Just having 1% exposure to Bitcoin in a, in a portfolio, that, 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 that's mind-blowing to me. So that's what I try to tell people. If, if the high net worth individuals, your pension funds, your hedge funds, your family offices are all getting involved in this, you should have some exposure. And they, they recommend 1% to 5%. Listen, if you can put 1% to 5% at risk 
on this, on Bitcoin, you're going to do fairly well. I, I believe you're going to do fairly well. Paul, what's your, so what's your background? Tell me about your kind of journey a little bit. Like, where, what did you start off on? What did you, I'm always curious about that. I don't think we ever talked about that in NextGen. No, no, we didn't. So uh, I always start with, you know, I got out of high school and I was just like, you know, folks that are from my background, you know, inner city, uh, you know, I worked fast foods, right? I was working at McDonald's. Military saw me in the mall one day going to work and they were like, hey, you want to go in the Navy? And I was like, nope, I'm going to work. And they were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. they say, why, why not? And I said, oh, I, I got busy. I got to work. They said, when are you going to take a break? I said, uh, probably about seven. They said, okay, we'll come by. I'm like, Okay. So I went to work and sure enough, they were sitting there waiting on me. So I go out and I talk with them. And so they convinced me to go down to MEPS, take a test. And so I wound up taking a test and then they said, Hey, here's some programs that you would be fit for. Do you want to go in? And so the rest of history, I went to the Navy, served 10 years on subs, had a blast, probably the best decision I made in my life. After getting out of the Navy, I worked for a government contract for a couple of years, made a switch over to the government side for a year. And then a good friend of mine started the business and I went into business with him. We ran it for eight years, you know, a couple million in revenue. And then I made an exit out. He kept it, kept going with it. And he recently sold the company after 18 years. Um, that was our first shot at business. So I guess we did pretty good. No, and then pretty... I, huh? What's it like living on a submarine? Ah, <laughs> so um, living on a sub. So when I first got to a sub, I didn't even know what a sub was and people laughed, but it's legit. I didn't, I didn't know what a sub was. I didn't realize I was going under the water to live for months on end, but it's a uh, narrow passageways, uh, very small racks to sleep in. Uh, I'd say six by maybe four inches high. So six feet, four inches high. No, not four inches. High. I guess it got more than four inches. It's probably like, I'd say about a couple. Uh, no, I, I guess, yeah, but I don't know. It's narrow. Right. So in order to get in the rack, you can't raise up and sit up in bed. You have to slide out sideways to get out of your rack. It's like little coffins that you're sleeping in. Um, and, you know, it's it's a busy all the time. You, you're always working. Your days consist of three shifts. They're six hours each. So sort of 18 hour days. And before you have to come on and watch again for the next six hours, sometimes you're port and starboard. You're working 12 hours on 12 hours off. You have tons of drills. You have to study. Yeah, it's crazy. But you're underwater for months on end? Three months. Without coming above water? No sun. Wow. And that's not all the time. Sometimes you go out for a couple of weeks and you pull back in. But if you go on a Western Pacific, deploy Pacific deployment or a med run and you're doing a specific project or exercise, you could actually be underwater for three months. Now, there are Trident subs. Those are boomers. And they do. They go out and they just sit and park because what people don't realize about the sub force is that there's two missions. The first mission is fast attacks where we go out and we're, our purpose is to seek and hunt enemy subs. That's our job is to go out there and to be aggressive in the sea, watching and, and fighting. The ballistic subs are there to deter war. So what the president can always tell any country is don't act crazy because I have ballistics parked off of your coast anytime you want. Let's play ball, right? So we have those ballistic subs and those guys go sit for three months and they don't move and they sit where they're supposed to sit. And when time comes, if the call's made, way the missiles go. And so that's sort of our defense when it comes to the sub force. I'm sure there's a lot of things you've learned from the Navy. Is there one or two that always resonate with you that maybe, you know, help you in whatever you're doing today? Like certain, um, I don't know, just things you've learned, I guess, that were this powerful that you remember? 
Yeah, so a few. So, so one of them uh, is the acronym NAVY. Never again volunteer yourself. But <laughs> that's more of a joke than anything. But that, that was a very powerful thing. You learn really quick. Don't go volunteering yourself. Uh, this, but I, I will say what I did learn is a lot of leadership principles that helped me in business. Um, understanding how to take orders, understanding how to give orders, understanding how to communicate and how to make sure that, that communication is clear. On a sub, and this goes with Surface Navy as well, there is a, there's kind of, there's an eight step to communicating. And, and I won't run through all of it, but basically it's based off of a repeating process. So if you say, hey, Paul, I need you to go get me a glass of water from the kitchen. I would say, you need me to go get your glass of water. I, and you would say, you know, basically, yes. And then I would go off and get the glass of water. I'd bring it back to you and say, hey, here's your glass of water. You say, I've got the glass of water. It's just a confirmation of a call and response type of a network that teaches you to make sure you're very clear. Cullen Powell says, if a, if a person ever comes to you and they're shocked by a bad review, you're a bad leader because they should never be shocked because they should always understand what the communication environment's like. And if I tell you something, then I need you to execute on that. And so it, it gave me a lot of different principles, networking, how to talk with people, how to network with folks. I mean, all around so many skills. So obviously you transition, as you mentioned, into this business with your, your friend. Um, was that hard jumping into that business or was it, it was kind of like hey, nothing else to do? Like, this seems cool. Like what was the, tell me a little about that journey. Yeah, so one of the things about myself is that I've always been a person who's had a uh, helping spirit, I guess. And, and if you're familiar with the Myers-Briggs, I'm what you consider an ESFJ. Those folks are, are called caregivers. But, you know, I've always, and this same thing sort of from the military and even before then when I even worked, is I've seen myself always trying to help folks in school. I was always you know, people, I'm a teacher's pet or the helper of the teacher. I always want to help people. So I constantly ask people, how can I help them? And so when I went into business with him, that was my goal. Listen, I was a GS-13 in the government. It took an act of Congress to fire me. So I had job security, but I came to him and I was like, dude, it looks like you don't have anybody helping you out. Do you need help? And he was like, of course I do. He goes, but you're not going to quit your job to help me. And I was like, uh, yeah, I will. And so for me, it was just me seeing myself as going to help him build this business. I didn't see, I, I wasn't thinking like, what happens if this thing fails? And in a way, I sort of thought about it if it fails, because I knew with the government, if I left, I had a three-year window that I probably could go back and get my job again, um, which was somewhat comforting, made it a little bit easier. Still, it was nerve wracking, but, um, but I don't know, I just, I just did it. Just like I did the Navy, just did it. Yeah. What did you learn on Capitol Hill? that you can so, share. <laughs> I, I myself didn't go up there a lot. So my okay. business partner actually worked for a former congresswoman up there. Uh, and we hired a lot of people off of Capitol Hill to do the work because they had relationships. But what I did learn from Capitol Hills is that it's built on relationships. And it's not a shocker, right? I had a lot of friends because I lived in DC. I made, met a lot of people. A lot of the people that I met are from Capitol Hill. And the methodology, which most people are probably not aware of this, this is the, 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 the order of transition. You go to Capitol Hill, you bust your butt, you work your butt off getting paid crap. But guess what happens once you get done? You've got relationships, you've got a network, and that's incredibly valuable. I mean, it is so valuable to have that network. And most of those people that become legislative aides, 
things like that, they wind up going to the lobbyist. Why? Because the lobbyists know I'm going to pay this person a lot of money because they can get me into the offices of congressman so-and-so or congresswoman so-and-so because you spent those years. Now, most people that work on Capitol Hill, they burn out in three, four, five years, except for your actual elected officials. But the people that work around them, their lifespan is very short. It's like playing the NFL, right? You know, you play 10 years, 10, 15 years hard, you're out. You just can't last that long. It's too hard. Yeah, 10 to 15 years, the NFL is a good career. Gosh, some are, some are done after. I think the average lifespan of like a running back is three years, if I remember. It's yeah. Whew, yeah. short. We can That's get the NFL talk if we want. My 49ers are doing well this year. so They are crushing it. <laughs> but we'll see how they finish the year. That's always my nervousness around that. Yeah, that's true. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit about our pals, Justin and, and Dylan at NextGen. How did you get up with NextGen? Because I've, I've had Justin on the podcast before. You know, He told his story about how NextGen started and all that. When did you first meet these guys and, and how did you get involved with them? Yeah, so just like Bitcoin, uh, I came across them on Twitter, and it was Felix Hartman, super guy. Tell you, if you get a chance to meet Felix, you love him. He's a really sharp guy, and I actually talked to him about Bitcoin, and he brushed me off several times before he took it serious, and now the guy runs Crypto Trading Academy. He's like a hedge fund guy. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. Anyway, Felix was talking about NextGen. They were down in Austin, very first conference they had, and so... At the time, I was a brand evangelist for this app called Anigo. It was a digital business card. So I was like, I wonder if the millennial community would use a digital business card. So I flew down to Austin, went to this conference. When I got there, I didn't know what to expect. There was probably about, I'd say, 200 people in attendance. And they had a star-studded cast on stage. Jonathan Bender from the Pacers, Miss West Virginia. They had a woman from Shark Tank, which I'm going to forget her name, but she was a winner from Shark Tank. Um, and there were several other people. And I'm like, how did these guys pull these people here? I'm like, these guys are like 18, 19 years old. They got this conference downtown Austin in this big hotel. I'm like, how'd they pull this off? And then I was sitting at the table and the people around the table were just as qualified to be on stage as the people on stage. So I'm like, okay. I now know I'm, I'm, I'm in the midst of some, some brilliant people. And so I really enjoyed the three days after I go up to Justin and Dylan. I say, hey, guys, phenomenal job you guys did with this conference. Um, I'm sort of bashing the party. I'm not a millennial. But I said, here's what I'll do. I want to attend every conference you guys have. And I'll even prepay to get in. So they said, you don't have to prepay, but you can come. I was like, great, I'll be there. I haven't missed a conference yet. I, this next year will be the sixth year that I've been to the Next Gen Conference. The community is electrifying. I mean, just, yeah, it, it's, it's too much. So I tell everybody, you got to go to Next Gen. I was blown away. This past year was my first year, and obviously that's where we met. Um, and it was weird, you know, too. Like, I, I talk a lot about, you know, serendipity. I think it's such a big thing. Like, if I didn't it's all these weird connections that ultimately got me in touch with Justin to have him on the podcast. And then we stayed in touch and he invited me to next gen. And then, and obviously I came, if I didn't, if that didn't happen, I mean, I, I can't imagine next gen not being in my life with all the people I've met like yourself and the rich Kellers of the world and all these folks. And it's just pretty cool um, of the community. So I didn't know if you had anything to share on that, especially for folks listening that aren't familiar with next gen. Uh, maybe something for them to, we're, we're kind of being cheerleaders here of them, but you know, whatever. Um, I think it's a great conference everyone should go to. Yeah, but I'll tell you, listen, if, 
I have yet to invite someone to next gen that didn't come away with an, oh my God, it, you know, experience, right? Like the experience you have, and I tell most people is that you go there expecting to attend a conference, but you leave with like friends, friends, not like, you know, oh, just Joe or Sue. Most people go to a conference, they couldn't tell you who they were sitting next to or who they talked to nonetheless. With next gen, like it's, it's like family now. I mean, it's, 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 it's a crazy, I don't know how they did it, but it's a crazy experience to have. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look forward to hopefully seeing you in person there next year. Uh, we'll have to catch up, have some dinner and have some, have some chat about it. Exactly. I want to get back to some of this stuff. I had a note here. I actually forgot to ask earlier. Maybe this will help me circle back to some crypto stuff. So what's going on with the news, the big news right now around Facebook and Libra and all that? Can, do you know anything, any insight there? Because I don't know a ton. I just know that it's getting crapped on by a lot of people, it seems like. Uh, obviously, they've had their data issues and what have you. But what, what are, what are, what's the update on that, if you can share? Yeah, the update for Libra is this. And this is what people need to understand. So, <clears throat> And not to get all conspiracy theorists on people, but I think most, well, no, maybe not. Some people should be aware that the Federal Reserve is not the government. Please, people, do not think the Federal Reserve is the government. They are not. They are a private, in, they're a private entity, and they happen to sell money to the government is what they do. They're the money creators, and they've been the only money creators that here in the U.S. that we've had. This is the first time they're getting competition. Bitcoin, all these digital assets, all of these platforms creating money has never happened before. And this is the first time we're getting challenged, the Fed's getting challenged by private industry like Facebook. So when Facebook came out with the idea of Libra, the reason it's so powerful is because of their, their global dominance, right? Facebook's got what? Some 4 billion people on the platform, some 2 billion active users. Can you imagine what happens when they launch currency? Like the entire globe is going to use this currency. They can upend the financial system because of Libra. And having Facebook, who no one trusts, control money is not a good thing. Think about it. If Facebook controlled money and you happen to say something that wasn't right on their platform, they could cut you off, which means they just cut off your money supply. Not a good thing. And this is why the Congress congressmen and women are challenging them so much because they're like, listen, you can't get this wrong. You get it wrong like you did with the election and you're going to cause a lot of people heartache. So it's not a good thing that Libra has been created. Now, <clears throat> I will say Libra is going through the, through the motions right now of, of, um, of morphing into a different product. It's still going to get launched. If anybody thinks that they're not going to launch Libra, guess again. They come out with this new thing that they're going to launch like Facebook money or something instead of Libra. But Facebook will eventually have some type of a currency process to it. And, and just for folks, I mean, it's digital currency, right? I mean, that's basically what it's similar to a Bitcoin. Yeah, it's a digital or, currency, but it is not a cryptocurrency. And and we probably, Rick Caramon, I went to his conference and he said, we should probably stop saying cryptocurrency because really we should say digital asset because that's really what most of this stuff is. Bitcoin is the only blockchain type decentralized censorship resistant technology. Libra is a centralized digital asset that's controlled by Facebook, even though it, Facebook says they don't, they do. So yeah, it's a digital asset. It's not a cryptocurrency. It has no cryptography associated with it. It's just a digital asset. 
So yeah, it, and I think that's the thing to be clear is it's similar to like using any bank or any money make. It's not unlike, a, it's not decentralized. Yeah. And that's what right. makes Bitcoin, I guess, appealing for a lot of people. Yeah, well, it is decentralized. At, yeah, look at what happened with PayPal. PayPal just cut the legs out from under Justin Sun and this other gentleman, and they can't use those accounts anymore. Bank of America just chopped them off, right? With Bitcoin, that can't happen. If those guys were using Bitcoin, ta-da, nobody can stop you from transferring money at all because guess what? No one controls the network. So it will always work. And the network uptime has been 99.9997 or something like that. It's been up forever. It's never going down. It's global. Are there other digital assets folks should be looking at besides Bitcoin? Yeah, that's a good question. There's a lot of projects out there I think that are viable. I just did a article on Bitwise and their ETF, but the um, one of the executives of Bitwise, Matt Hoogan, talked about 95% of digital assets are basically going to go to zero, right? They're crap. And I'd agree with him on that. Now, I think there are some that are viable. You look at some of the chains like IOTA or Cardano, um, EOS is, I know I get beat up by saying EOS, but EOS, um, Litecoin will always sort of be a test net for Bitcoin. So I think Litecoin will always be around. You've got some other assets out there like Stellar and Ripple. They're trying to address a totally different um, purpose, but they, I think, are solid projects. Link is out there. There's a ton that's in the top, I'd say, 20. If you go to CoinMarketCap, there are viable projects that I think will always be around. The rest of it, who knows what's going to happen with it. So what are some things, maybe it's one or two that you can think of that people should be excited about with digital assets going forward and maybe one or two things they should be concerned about or things they should, you know, be thoughtful, I guess, more about. Yeah. So when it comes to, you know, that they should be excited about, um, and I have a hard time sort of cheerleading some of this stuff because, again, to be honest, and I'll tell everybody this, you just don't know what will happen. I mean, today it sounds great. Tomorrow, who knows, it could disappear. But, again, Cardano is one of them. An article recently came out where Charles Hoskinson is a very brilliant guy who created that platform, uh, and they're getting a lot of adoption. I actually wrote up an article on them um, with the news that I've curated all year long, just showing people the progression of that project and the adoption that they're getting is, is significant that's in the market. Um, and then if you look at, again, one that's like EOS, people hate me talking about this one, but e so EOS, so that some of the people know, they raised $4 billion on an, I an, an ICO and everybody is up in a tizzy about it. The SEC came out and gave them a slap on the wrist, find them like hundreds of millions. But when you're looking at $4 billion, that's nothing, right? So uh, it was a security. It was definitely a security when they issued the ICO. But that project has a lot of support, a lot of backing, a lot of resources. And I think they're going to be um, instrumental. They're trying to launch a network that would be a social network like Facebook, and they're calling it Voice. And we're waiting to see that come to market. So EOS, Cardano, IOTA is for Internet of Things. They're getting tons of adoption. A lot of people are playing with that one. The auto automobile industry is adopting IOTA. So those are some that I'd say get excited about. IOTA, Cardano, EOS are some great ones to get excited about. And where should, where could people go, um, uh, I guess, go buy these things? Where, where do you suggest um, is, the, is the best spot? Stay away from obscure 
platforms. Listen, if it's not the well-known ones, and well-known, I mean, if it's not Coinbase, and again, people hate Coinbase because Coinbase is like the bank of crypto, but Coinbase is, is very reliable and they're solid. You can't buy all assets on Coinbase, uh, but Coinbase Binance is another one. Now, Binance had an issue where they shut down U.S. people from using the platform due to regulation, but they did open up a Binance U.S. platform for U.S. citizens, but there's only certain projects that's on there too. Like the regular Binance, you can buy anything under the sun on it. The, the U.S. Binance, it's very limited, and some states, you can't even use it. Like here in Texas, I can't use Binance U.S. Um, New York, the same thing, you can't use it. Um, or Kraken, Cash App, um, uh, uh, Abra, platform called Abra. There's, there's, there's some reputable ones, but if, if, if they're not the reputable ones, then I'd stay away from some obscure platform that no one's heard of. And this is really good. I got a lot of knowledge here on digital assets going forward. Um, what something we haven't talked about, what would you, what would you say maybe is one or two topics that you're looking at as you're curating this news that maybe people should be aware of something that may be happening down the road here soon. Yeah. So a couple of those areas, the first is, and I got this from um, Mike Novogratz. He said it many, many, many times, two things that's going to bring mass adoption to crypto will be regulation and custody until we have solid regulation and within the regulatory framework, we're looking at the sec to come out with a solid guideline for what's a security and what's not a security. That's been a big debate. The second is the IRS, right? Those guys have got to come out with, you know, digital asset friendly uh, policies. Like for instance, right now, if you were to sell a digital asset, it's a capital gains tax. And if you were to use it, if I were to buy a cup of coffee with Bitcoin, it's a capital gains tax. You can't, it, they, they've got to put the token taxonomy act in play and allow us a de minimis rule that says if you're using $600 or $1,000 worth of crypto a day, you don't have to pay taxes on it, right? That's the way it should be. You use it as money. Andreas Antonopoulos said, you, regu you regulate this based on use. So if I'm using it as an investment, tax me as an investment. If I'm using it as currency, tax as currency. So <clears throat> regulation is one of them. The second one is custody. A lot of these platforms out there, Coinbase, uh, Kraken, Abra, all of these things, everyone says, not your keys, not your coins. And that's a phrase by Trace Mayer. He's a billionaire. The guy's been in Bitcoin since it was a nickel. And he tells you he's running a campaign right now where he's recommending everyone pull their digital assets off of these exchanges and hold them on a hardware wallet. Um, but, but, and it's called not your keys, not your coins. And the reason is, is with digital assets, if you don't own the private key, then you don't own that asset. If Coinbase was to shut down and go away tomorrow, all of that money is gone. Nothing you can do about it. Now, the, 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 the crypto industry has been very good at giving people their money back for the most part. There have been some ASIC scams, but the big guys like a, crypto, like a Coinbase or a Binance, or if they were to get hacked and they have problems, they're going to make good on your crypto because they got more money than God. They're making billions. So they can do that. The obscure ones can't. So I would say those are the things that I'm seeing. And then the, the last the last big news piece that's going on, it's the ETF. It's um, several organizations are trying to get an ETF to market. And the reason is because if we can get an ETF 
then your high net worth individuals, your hedge funds, family offices can start putting their clients into Bitcoin. But right now they can't because there's not a regulated way for them to do so. So Bitwise came out, well, I mean, SEC came out today and said they are reviewing their rejection of the Bitwise ETF that just happened a month ago. So they're coming back saying, wait a minute, we need to review this again and take a look at it. So I'm not saying we're going to see an ETF approved in 2019, but it's probably coming soon. Bitwise thinks it is. Can you, can you talk a little bit, elaborate on the private key? Because that's really yes. interesting. I, I thought about that a while ago or I'd heard about it. I never did anything with it. So what should folks do if they want to get a private key so it's maybe on their computer stored? Yep. So a private key, think about it like the email system. Um, if I were to give you, you have a public key and a private key, your public key is equivalent to your email address. So I can tell anybody, Hey, you can email me at paul.mcneil at gmail.com. Great. I can give anybody that. I don't care. I give everybody that. And so your public key for your wallet, you can give it to anybody and say, Hey, send me money to this address, to this wallet. I'll accept it. Your password is your private key. And if, if I were to give you my password to my Gmail account, then you can just go to Gmail and log into my account. And you got all my emails. The same thing happens with digital assets. If you give someone your secret key or your private key, they have access to your coins. Now, when you use a platform like Coinbase, you don't get a private key, so to speak. You get a password to log into their website, which then gives you access to the account where your Bitcoin is, but it's not the private key to your Bitcoin. It's a, it's a password to your account. So if you use a hardware wallet or you use a software wallet on your phone, some wallets will actually give you a private key when you create an account. Like if you create a wallet account, just like you do when you do email and it says, what do you want your password to be? And you make it up with the Bitcoin network, it will give you a super long string of letters and numbers and they say that's your private key and that's what you use to get access to this bitcoin and that's the what you need to keep and keep secret so if coinbase goes down though who would you give that to who who would well if coinbase goes down you don't even have one you have a you have a password to a login to a website but you don't have the private key i guess i have if i if i have bitcoin on coinbase right now assume not that it's going to happen probably not but let's assume just for fun coinbase goes down yep i still technically have that bitcoin because i have the key i have the key to it do i not nope nope you have you have you have a password to coinbase you don't have the private key to your bitcoin you have a password to coinbase's account that holds bitcoin in it but you don't have the actual private key to that Bitcoin itself. So how do you, how do you get the private key then? I guess what yes. I'm saying. that's so what I'm, you, yeah, I'm confused yeah. about. So if you go into your Coinbase account, you can go there and you can say, send these Bitcoins to this other wallet, which ah. if you were to create a wallet on Ledger, or if you created a wallet on a Kiki or a Trezor, then you would send the Bitcoin from Coinbase to that hardware wallet where you control both the private key and the public key. And now you control them both. But uh, on Coinbase, okay. you don't control the private key. You just have the password to your account. Gotcha. Okay. So if you would ever want to buy more or sell that, you would have to put it back into Coinbase yeah. or somewhere like that. Okay. Gotcha. Back onto an exchange and then yeah. you can exchange it with someone. Or if you have somebody now, there's a website called local bitcoins. So this is the way it was really designed to be. It was called a peer to peer electronic 
currency. So if me and you met at NextGen next year and you said, hey, Paul, um, you know, I need some cash to go buy some food. Will you buy, you know, some Bitcoin from me? I say, sure, pull up your wallet. And then I would hand you $10 and you would then send me $10 worth of Bitcoin. And we can do that peer to peer. We don't need any banks. We don't need exchanges. We don't need anybody. Just me and you, we can trade Bitcoin back and forth for an agreed upon price. You might say, hey, I'll give you this Bitcoin at you know 200 bucks a Bitcoin. I go, great, okay, I'll give you 200 bucks. You send me one Bitcoin, we're good. And that's the way the system works. That's why they say, I can send people in China Bitcoin and it can get to them in 10 minutes. If I tried to send that to China across the regular financial systems, it would take days, if not weeks. Hmm. This is the beauty of the system, peer to peer. That's fascinating. It's um, fascinating. It w are you gonna continue doing the the crypto curator going forward? Do you got any other things up your sleeve? Anything up else you're excited about? Yeah, no, it's crypto. I was talking to a friend last night about this. It's cryptocurrency. I mean, I'm a business advisor for a team called VineTech. Um, they're creating some technology to help uh, wineries in their spray programs. But outside of that, I'll continue to mentor, do business advisory stuff, and then the crypto stuff. I'm going to be with this until I, there's no more. But right now, there's going to always be crypto. <laughs> So where can everyone find you online? Where can they connect uh, and chat with you? Yeah, so if they go to my website, thecryptocurator.com, they will find how to get to me everywhere. And that has links to LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, uh, my podcast, YouTube channel, uh, the briefs themselves. I mean, they have access to everything there. So if they go to my website, they'll, they'll get access to me. Awesome, man. Hey, this is a fun conversation. It just whipped by. I just noticed the time. So, man, this yeah. is awesome. I was glad to catch up with you. And uh, thanks so much for joining the podcast today. Hey, you're welcome, man. Enjoy. Well, I hope you all enjoyed that episode and look forward to having you in the next one. And if I could make one ask of the community, if you did enjoy this one or others, please head over to iTunes, leave me a quick review, give me a rating, let me know how I'm doing. It also gives a chance for this podcast to get bubbled up to more people, more exposure on it, and hopefully help other people on their journeys kind of get to that next level. And go check me out online. BrianAndraco.com is the website. Um, I have the podcast there, blog. I even have a now page to kind of keep people up to speed in the last couple months, what's going on in my world. Um, at worst, it allows my mom to keep tabs on me and make sure I'm doing okay. And feel free to connect with me on Instagram or Twitter, at BrianAndraco. Send me a DM. Let me know how you guys are doing, a little bit about your journey. I love to connect with new people and kind of hear what's making them passionate and motivated to reach fulfillment in their life. So I thank you guys again for listening in. I hope you have a great day, a phenomenal week, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care.